Hello, everyone, and welcome to Crime Sesh. I am your host, Leah, and I am super excited to finally be recording this episode. It's been long awaited. Um, I've been really scared to record it, in all honesty, because I was afraid that people would make fun of me, but I'm at the point where I don't really care. So, um, yes, welcome to Crime Sesh, like I already said. Uh, this is our first official episode, and I am so excited to be doing this once again. So, yeah, let's get started. Our first episode is on the 1982 Chicago Tylenol murders. Um, I really haven't seen many people touch on this besides Stephanie Harlow did a video a while back. Um, the unsolved guys, Ryan and Shane from BuzzFeed, did a video a while back. And Kendall Ray actually just posted a video a couple weeks ago about it. And that is what I deemed as my, uh, like my sign to do this finally. I am a big Kendall Ray fan though, so definitely go check her video out after you listen to this because she might have more information than I do. But yeah, let's get started. So Mary Ann Kellerman was born on March 9th, 1970 in Illinois to her parents, Dennis and Jenna Kellerman. Mary was a seventh grader at Adam Jr.'s high school and she loved horseback riding, and she also babysat the neighborhood kids to make some extra money. September 29th, 1982, around 6.30 in the morning, Mary woke up not feeling too well, and so she told her parents that she had a runny nose and a sore throat, and hoping to, you know, help her out, her parents gave her some extra-strength Tylenol. Dennis said he heard Mary go to her bathroom and shut the door behind her, and then he heard something fall. He just heard, like, a huge drop. And he called out for Mary, asking if she was all right. When Dennis got no answer after asking multiple times if Mary was okay, Dennis decided that he would open the bathroom door. And when he did, he unfortunately found his 12-year-old daughter, Mary, lying unconscious on the bathroom floor. Dave Sprung was the medic that was called on scene. And it is said that Dave gave Mary everything he could literally think of to help her and nothing seemed to help no drugs nothing helped mary at all she was taken to the allison brothers medical center in elk grove village in illinois and around 10 a.m mary was unfortunately pronounced dead at just 12 years old that same day, 27-year-old Adam Janus from Arlington Heights, Illinois, his 25-year-old brother Stanley, and Stanley's 19-year-old wife, Teresa, were also all pronounced dead as well. And, you know, at first, Mary Kellerman's death didn't seem suspicious, but they did decide to get an autopsy due to how young she was. So now I'm going to go over the timeline a little bit of this day um, following some of the victims as well after Mary Kellerman's death. So Adam Janus um, was taking a sick day from his postal worker job, and around noon, he left to go pick up his kids from preschool. And on the way home, he stopped by the Jewel grocery store to get some Tylenol since he felt really bad. Adam and the children arrived home, and they had some lunch, and Adam told his wife that he was going to take two extra-strength Tylenols, and he was going to go lay down, hoping that the Tylenol would make him feel better. And just a few minutes later, Adam came stumbling out of his room and collapsed into the kitchen. And around 3.15, medics arrived at the Janus home, but they couldn't revive Adam at all. Around 3.45 p.m., 27-year-old Mary Reiner, who recently had her fourth baby, took some Tylenol, and she also collapsed. Mary was a mother of four, like I said, and married to a man named Ed Reiner. Around 5 p.m. that same day, Adam's family was gathered, and his brother Stanley had some back pain, and so, due to his back pain, he decided to also take two extra-strength Tylenol, as well as his wife, Teresa, who also took two. 
And within minutes, Stanley and Teresa both collapsed. And I just want to say that my heart goes out to all of the families and all of the victims, and especially the Janus family, because they lost Adam. And then just a few hours later, Stanley and Teresa are both collapsing on the same day that they already lost Adam. And I couldn't just even imagine that all of this happening in one day to one family is absolutely insane. Some people did start getting suspicious after this because now we have four or five people down um, all in the same day. And also on this same day, September 29th, at 6.30 p.m., Mary McFarlane told her co-workers that she had an awful headache. So she took some Tylenol and within minutes she was on the floor and it was suspected that she ingested something bad. Around 8 p.m., nurse Helen Jensen from Arlington Heights, investigator Nick Pichos with the Cook County Medical Examiner's Office and the police went to Adam Janus's house to see if they could find anything odd. Nurse Jensen, Investigator Pichos, and the police all arrived at Adam Janus's house and nothing looked out of place to them. But Nurse Jensen did find a Tylenol bottle and noticed it was missing exactly six pills. Two for Adam, two for Stanley, and two for Teresa. So she, thinking it might be connected, she decided to take it back to the hospital with her. Around 8.15, Stanley Janus was sadly also pronounced dead at the Northwest Community Hospital. Another victim, 35-year-old Paula Prince, who was a flight attendant coming back from Las Vegas, stopped at the Walgreens on 1601 North Wells Street to buy some extra-strength Tylenol. Back at the hospital, after Nick Pichos, Helen Jensen, and the police are back from Adam Janus's house, Nurse Jensen slammed the bottle of Tylenol down in front of Dr. Kim, and she said that she believed that this was the cause for all of the strange occurrences happening to these people on this day. Dr. Kim was so frustrated that he could not figure out what was happening, um, and he had been trying to figure it out all day long, and he couldn't figure it out, and it was just frustrating him beyond belief. And so he believed that, you know, um, Nurse Jensen was just saying this as just something to, like, blame it on, and he was just like, okay, yeah, whatever, and he just shrugged off. He just, like, he basically just completely ignored Nurse Helen's suggestion. While Nurse Jensen was talking to Dr. Kim, Investigator Pichos had found out about Mary Kellerman and what had happened to her earlier that day and that she had come into Elk Grove Village, and the doctors had actually inventoried her bottle of Tylenol. And so thinking that maybe, you know, Nurse Jensen had taken a bottle of Tylenol from Adam Janus's house and Mary Kellerman was in the hospital and was now pronounced dead after taking some Tylenol, Nick Pichos asked if Elk Grove could actually send over um, Mary Kellerman's bottle. While Nick was in the process of getting Mary Kellerman's bottle of Tylenol over so he could compare it to Adam Janus's Tylenol, Dr. Kim was going through all of the scenarios of what could possibly be happening in his head. He did actually come across that maybe it was cyanide, but there was no way that none of them had been around cyanide that he knew of, but just in case, he still wanted to get their blood tested for cyanide. Dr. Kim sent blood samples out to be tested for cyanide, and while that was happening, Investigator Pichos finally got his hands on Mary Kellerman's bottle of Tylenol, and he compared it to the one from Adam's home. Now, here's where it comes. Here's where everything comes together in everybody's mind. Everything was different on these two bottles of Tylenol, besides the control number, which was MC2880. It matched on both bottles from Mary Kellerman and Adam Janus's home. 
Pichos called the deputy medical examiner Donahue, and Donahue told Pichos to open the bottles and smell them. Nick Pichos did so, and he said that both smelled kind of like almonds, and which cyanide is actually said to have the smell of almonds, but only about half of the population can actually smell cyanide. Um, so basically what happens with cyanide, it blocks the utilization of oxygen by red blood cells. So essentially you could breathe and have oxygen, but if it isn't being picked up by your red blood cells, then you could actually suffocate. And obviously, as we've seen with Mary Kellerman and Adam Janus, it can happen pretty quickly depending on person, depending on the person. On September 30th, around 1 a.m., Dr. Kim got their lab reports back on the blood samples, and it showed that there was 100 to 1,000 times more amount of cyanide to kill someone in their blood. Around 3.15 a.m., Mary McFarlane was sadly pronounced dead at Good Samaritan Hospital in Downers Grove, Illinois. And around 9.30 a.m., Mary Reiner was also sadly pronounced dead at the Central DuPage Hospital in Winfield, Illinois. Around 10 a.m. that same day, an attorney from Johnson & Johnson who manufactures Tylenol came to the medical examiner office. So they sat him down. They showed him all the lab reports and the toxicology reports showing that they show they have cyanide in their blood system. And Roy Dames, CEO of Cook County's medical examiner office, spoke with the CEO of the company who was producing Tylenol at the time to let him know that they were going to have to, you know, let the public know about these deaths that occurred after taking the Tylenol and the CEO of the company who was producing Tylenol at the time responded with, do you have to? Do you have any better idea, buddy? Like, what else to do? Like, this is something pretty serious that definitely the whole um, state of Illinois or at least the whole country needs to know because at this time they didn't know if it was a controlled situation where it was only happening in Illinois or if it was happening in other parts of the U.S. So it was a pretty big deal, you know. Um, around 3 p.m. that day, Johnson & Johnson announced the recall of Tylenol with the control number MC2880, and the medical examiner's office was getting so many calls from people who took Tylenol that day that they literally just started telling people that basically if you felt good enough to make this call, then you were fine, but just don't take any more Tylenol. Friday, October 1st, the FBI ended up getting involved because they weren't sure, like I said, if this was happening in other places around the world or if it was only happening in Illinois. And around 1.15 that same day, Stanley Janice's wife, Teresa, was taken off of life support and she was also sadly pronounced dead at the Northwest Community Hospital. That same day, on October 1st, around 5 p.m., police found the body of Paula Prince, who was the flight attendant coming in from Las Vegas. She was found at an old town apartment at 1540 North LaSalle Street, and it was said that Paula was supposed to meet her sister for dinner, and Paula wasn't answering her phone, which was really unusual for her. Um, she was actually supposed to be on a flight on Friday, but she never showed up for it, and none of Paula's family could actually get a hold of her, and so they had the Chicago police do a welfare check on her, and that is when she was found. She was found with a bottle of extra strength Tylenol in her bathroom, and she was literally dead by the time she made it through the threshold of her bathroom door. That is how quick it can happen. They believed that Paula had taken her extra strength Tylenol on Wednesday night, and they got the security footage from Walgreens where you can actually see Paula buying her Tylenol, and it is also said there is a man behind Paula who they think could have been the killer. Paula was said to be a very vivacious 
outgoing sweet girl, and she had such a pretty smile. Mayor Brown um, of Illinois did a press conference to report the finding of Paula Prince and announced that all Tylenol would be pulled off of the shelves. Monday, October 4th, changed pill bottles forever in Illinois when Mayor Brown passed an ordinance stating all drugs sold in stores have to have tamper-resistant packing. Tuesday, October 5th, Johnson & Johnson recalled all Tylenol, which was 31 million bottles valued at more than $100 million nationwide. DuPage officers, county cook officers, Chicago officers, the FBI, and the U.S. attorney were all involved at this point, and you couldn't look at the newspaper or even turn on your TV to watch the news without hearing about the Tylenol murder, so it was absolutely almost impossible to not know about what was going on. So now that we're done with the timeline, we're going to get into some suspects. Um, I got as much information as I could find. I feel like I have a good bit. So let's jump right into the suspects. Attorney General Feiner said that they were getting so many calls every day of people saying they did it and about 1,200 other things that were leads that they were actually going to investigate. Um, Johnson Johnson actually began to think that maybe it was an angry ex-employee. At one point, Johnson Johnson had problems with their talcum powder with green stuff growing on them, and mothers were getting really upset about this. Chemists actually found that the green stuff was actually mold that grows in damp oak, and Johnson Johnson did have oak pallets down in the talc mines. And one particular guy, I couldn't find his name, but he worked in the talc mine and he was fired. And Detective Hogberg said this guy was the type that would make anyone believe what he says, and he was basically just a really good manipulator. On October 6th, Johnson & Johnson received an extortion letter saying they needed to give up $1 million in order to stop the murders, and I have the letter right here, and it reads as, Gentlemen, as you can see, it is easy to place cyanide, both potassium and sodium, into capsules sitting on store shelves, and since the cyanide is inside the gelatin, it is easy to get buyers to swallow the bitter pill. Another beauty is that cyanide operates quickly. It takes so very little, and there will be no time to take countermeasures. If you don't mind the publicity of these little capsules, then do nothing. So far, I have spent less than $50, and it takes me less than 10 minutes per bottle. If you want to stop the killing, then wire $1 million to bank account 84-49-597 at Continental Illinois Bank Chicago. Don't attempt to involve the FBI or local Chicago authorities with this letter. A couple of phone calls made by me will undo anything you can possibly do. Um, police were notified and traced it back to a man named James Lewis from New York City. Lewis was actually spotted on December 13th at a New York Public Library annex. The bank account that did not belong to Lewis at all, it actually belonged to Frederick Miller McC McCahey, who was believed to have stiffed Lewis's wife out of $511. And the reason why Lewis put his name on this, he hoped that it would expose Frederick's theft of the $511. Um, but this did not stop the police looking into John Lewis at all. It's actually said that Lewis chased his mother with an axe when he was 19 years old. And a little more about Lewis. Um, he actually... He was actually committed to the Missouri State Mental Hospital after he tried taking 36 anison pills, and he was diagnosed with catatonic schizophrenia. He was also charged but then acquitted for the murder of Raymond West, who was found dismembered. Lewis and his wife actually tried to start a business importing pill-making machines that were made in India, but he was also suspected of faking credit card applications with fake addresses. So, obviously, this guy didn't really have a good track record. He was doing a lot of sketchy shit behind the scenes. 
December 4th, 1981, Lewis's home was searched and the police found evidence to arrest him on the credit card crimes. And Lewis and his wife actually fled to Chicago after this and lived under fake names for almost a year, which now brings us up to the Tylenol murders timeline. Lewis and his wife did buy Amtrak tickets to New York on September 4th, 1982, which was 25 days before the Tylenol death started. 25 days would have been too long because the tampered Tylenol bottles would have had to been placed shortly before the death started. Since this didn't affect all Tylenol bottles and it only affected a select few, obviously it had to be placed very like, it obviously had to be placed very close to when the first death started with Mary Kellerman. Some investigators thought that it actually would have been completely possible for James Lewis to fly into O'Hare Airport to Chicago, rent a car, then plant the bottles, and then leave Chicago. Going back to the man that was seen on the security cameras behind Paula in the Walgreens, a lot of people actually said it did look like Lewis, but people couldn't place him in Chicago around the time of the murders. He was not charged as a Tylenol murderer, but he was charged with extortion and was sentenced to 20 years in prison, and he only served around 13 years for it. While he was in prison, though, he offered to help and explained how someone might be injecting the capsules with cyanide, and he published a book in 2010 called Poison the Doctor's Dilemma. He stated he had nothing to do with the murders, and he regretted ever sending the ransom note. And even now, it is still believed that James is responsible, but there wasn't enough evidence. On October 21st, Dominic's, a store in Chicago, actually turned in another cyanide lace bottle of Tylenol. Another suspect is Ted Kaczynski, which is also the Unabomber. I'm going to give a little bit of background on him, but not very much at all, because he might be another episode later on. But they actually got DNA samples from Ted Kaczynski. Um, He killed three people and injured 23 other people by sending bombs through the mail. Um, And the first four crimes he committed were actually in Chicago from 1978 to 1980. And Ted Kaczynski's parents also lived in Lombard, Illinois. There were some unofficial deaths that were caused by extra strength Tylenol. J. Adam Mitchell was one and um, they lived in Sheridan, Wyoming and died from taking two extra strength Tylenols, which was two months before the Chicago Tylenol murders started. The reason why this is important is because Sheridan, Wyoming is on the way to Ted Kaczynski's cabin in Montana, where he lived. And a lot of Ted's bombings involved Wood, and two of the three founders of Johnson Johnson have the middle name Wood. And the word Wood just really connects a lot back to Ted Kaczynski. So that is why people think that he could also be a good suspect. Um, There were a ton of copycat murders. In 1986, three more people did die when gelatin capsules were tampered with, and one woman in Yonkers, New York, after taking extra strength Tylenol, passed away, and in Washington State, after two people had taken Excedrin migraine, had also passed away. And in 1986, And in 1986, Kenneth Ferries, a student at University of Texas, was actually found dead in his apartment after cyanide poisoning. His death was first ruled as a homicide on May 30th. His death was first ruled as a homicide on May 30th, but later on June 19th, they did decide to rule it as a suicide. This ultimately led to the whole country making tamper-proof seals for any drugs sold in stores, um, which is now why we have the little seal on the top. It used to be literally no seal, just the cotton ball inside and the pills. And now that is why we have the tamper-proof seals to make sure when we're buying medicine off of the shelves that it has not been tampered with. 
Um, also, another thing to add that since the Tylenol murders were so close around October, people were actually extremely scared to go trick-or-treating or to eat Halloween candy in general because they were afraid it would be tampered with as well because, you know, they thought that if my medicine could be tampered with, then what is going to stop people from tampering with Halloween candy, especially when little kids are going to be eating it? Um, and there was also another report from a housewife who said there was a man going door-to-door selling quote-unquote toxic cider she said the cider had burned a hole in the side of a container and she thought that that was suspicious and when the officers came out and found the cider was not toxic but it was actually literally just cider but when it ferments it's enough to burn a actual hole through a plastic container and all it could do um worst comes to worst is knock you out so that is all I have. Um, like I said, you might want to tune into Kendall Ray's video. She might have more information than I did provide. I am sorry that this is a little shorter than I wanted it to be. I'm right at about 27 minutes right now, and I really wanted it to be a little bit lengthier because I do like the lengthier podcast. But for my first podcast, I just really wanted to get this out there, and I hope it did a good job. Um, please give me some feedback on our Instagram at crimesashpod. And thank you so much for listening, and I hope you guys enjoyed, and we'll tune in next time. Bye!